This is Quotations, a podcast about words, written and spoken throughout history. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. No matter where you're from, your dreams are valid. The Pale Blue Dot, the only home we've ever known. Hello and welcome to Quotations. I'm Matthew Monroe. Here's today's quote. Quote, Feedback in the creative world is clouded by a unique conundrum that ultimately comes down to incentives. While the value of feedback is high, the incentives to give feedback to others is low, and the actual desire to hear it is often non-existent. After all, the work you do to pursue your ideas is a labor of love. The last thing anyone wants to hear is harsh truths about a loved one. End quote. And that quote comes to us from author Scott Belsky. He is an executive, entrepreneur, author, and investor. He was born on April 18, 1980, and is currently the chief product officer and executive vice president for Creative Cloud at a little company you may know called Adobe. Prior to that, he founded the creative portfolio display platform Behance. And Scott has also been involved via investment in a number of big name companies like Pinterest, Uber, Sweetgreen, and others. So Scott is someone who knows a thing or two about success and failure in new ideas and companies. And he outlines many of these lessons learned in his book titled Making Ideas Happen. And he outlines his learnings from his anecdotal experiences and many, many interviews that he conducted. In it, he makes many great points, and it's a very action-oriented book. For example, he talks about encouraging fighting and discourse amongst a team. The idea there is that it improves ideas, it pressure tests them, and it more quickly drums out bad ideas than everybody kind of going along to get along and therefore perpetuating a bad idea further into the timeline than it should be. He talks about something that I like quite a bit, which is the dreamer-doer-incrementalist concept. So the idea there is that there are dreamers. These are people who are constantly coming up with good ideas, constantly have new and creative thoughts. Very important to the forward progress of a company. You need someone with big ideas. You need someone who's creative and who constantly comes up with new things. Dreamers don't tend to necessarily enjoy the executing of their ideas. They just want to come up with new ideas, and then once that idea is out there in the ether, they come up with another one. Doers, the second category, are the counterpoint to the dreamers, right? They are the ones who aren't necessarily the idea generation machines, that the dreamers are, but they're the doers. They're the ones that get things done. And at the same time, their weaknesses, they're not always coming up with the best ideas. So you need dreamers and doers, or you need what Belsky calls the incrementalist, which is kind of a combination of the dreamer and doer. This is a, this is a more rare type of person that does both the dreaming and the doing all in one package. So this kind of this kind of construct usually makes me chuckle a little bit. I remember recalling this when I was going through school for the uh, for the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps is notorious for doing this, and I'm sure other organizations are as well. But this is my this is the one I know the best. And there's a classic classic trope that you would see in various coursework that you would take. There would always be three options. There would be three methods to doing something. There would be the A option, the B option, and the combination method. And those always cracked me up because one A and B were always extremes and they were always something that you kind of went, mm, this probably isn't the best thing. So it was really C or the combination method was always the one that 
you ideally wanted to use. But there was always A, B, and a combination method. That's what this comes across to me as. There are dreamers, there are doers, and then there are incrementalists. There's A, B, and a combination. But it's a valuable point. And recognizing who you are of those three is a very important thing to learn to do. Maybe you're the dreamer. Maybe you just recognize that you are someone who likes to get things started but doesn't necessarily like to follow through with them. Or maybe you're the other way. You love to do things and carry things through to fruition, but you're not the best at coming up with new creative ideas. Knowing who you are and pairing yourself appropriately in the workforce or in your individual pursuits is an important thing. So it's a good point that Scott makes in his book. And then he also talks about idea generation in moderation. You can over good idea something. You, you can sprinkle a few too many good ideas on something and ruin it. And ideas, he says throughout the book, are easy. Ideas are easy to come up with. It's easy to generate ideas, relatively speaking. It's just thinking. Executing is the hard part. And that's why his book is entitled Making Ideas Happen. Because ideas are nothing if they're not executed. They're just thoughts. And part of transitioning from ideas to products or from the ethereal to the physical, taking something that exists only inside of your head and turning it into a product or a service or something like that, a critical part of that is feedback. And feedback is important to that process because it lets you know if you're barking up the right tree. It lets you know if you're, you're hunting around the right idea. If, you know, choose your, choose your analogy, but feedback lets you know that you're not the only person who thinks that what you're thinking is a good idea. And depending on your perspective, it's even more important than that. Arguably, it's even critical to our existence. And that's a little bit crazy to think about, right? How is feedback, how is feedback critical to my existence? Well, let's, let's do a couple of thought experiments here. Feedback is a response to an action, right? In this case, it's the action of you divulging what your idea is to a trusted compatriot and seeing what they think, or to a focus group if you're that well-developed. You're putting that idea out there, you're presenting it, and you're receiving feedback from the recipient. So an action of any kind returns some kind of feedback, positive, negative, maybe neutral. For example, an opinion that you may espouse garners a response. If it's a good opinion, maybe you get some good feedback that says, yes, I agree with that. If it's a bad opinion, you're likely to be responded to negatively. That's still a form of feedback. It helps you inform your future opinions because you receive feedback on your existing ones. A joke, for example, something that you think is very funny. It either gets a laugh or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, maybe it's not as funny as you thought, right? But that's a form of feedback. A job application that you put through gets selected or it doesn't. That tells you that maybe, maybe your resume isn't as strong as you think. Or maybe you need to tighten up that cover letter a little bit. Or maybe you're not as qualified as you think you are. But it's a, it's a form of feedback. And then a very simple one, a very physical one is, let's say you make a meal. It either tastes good or it doesn't. It either makes you sick or it doesn't. And of course, I'm explaining all of these as if they're only binary, right? They're not necessarily all binary. They, they're not just one or zero. They're not either yes or no. A lot of times there's a spectrum here. And feedback isn't necessarily binary. The notion that if you put an idea out into the world... It's either going to come back as the greatest idea someone has ever heard or the worst idea that someone has ever heard is wrong. There's probably room for improvement in any idea in its initial stages. And that's what you're looking for. You're looking to refine. You're looking to see how far off the mark you are. If we imagine in our minds a, 
an archery target with a very small 10 ring in the center and then a 9 ring and an 8 ring and a 7 and a 6 outside of that, you are taking a shot at that target. You're throwing out something that you think is good and it lands, say, in the 7 ring. And somebody says, well, if you go a little bit this direction and a little bit that direction, you'll be closer to the mark, I think. There's your feedback. You make those adjustments, you fire again. Now you're in the nine ring. Well, great. Well, now here's another adjustment that you can make. And you fire again, and finally you're on target. So that's what you're looking for is that iterative process whereby you put out an idea, you receive feedback on it, and then you make adjustments to it. So what Scott is saying here is that we don't like it despite receiving it constantly and it being of supreme value to us. Well, why is that? Well, before we go into that, I'm going to read the quote to you one more time. Now that you have a little bit of context, to what Scott is talking about here, and think about it for yourself as I read through this. Why might we not enjoy receiving feedback? Scott puts forth one idea, but there may be others. So here's the quote one more time for your consideration. Quote, Feedback in the creative world is clouded by a unique conundrum that ultimately comes down to incentives. While the value of feedback is high, the incentive to give feedback to others is low, and the actual desire to hear it is often non-existent. After all, the work you do to pursue your ideas is a labor of love. The last thing anyone wants is to hear harsh truths about a loved one. End quote. And there's a piece in here in this quote, and part of the reason that I like this is he talks about incentives. Right? He, he, he acknowledges that feedback is valuable. And he says the value of feedback is high. The incentive to give, give feedback to others is low. Well, why would that be? Why would it be that the incentive to give feedback is low. Well, I think there are two main reasons for that. The number one reason, I think, is because it is it takes effort. It takes time and energy to give feedback, especially quality feedback. It's easy to look at somebody, especially a friend or something like that, and say, nah, that idea sucks. That won't make it. That's not a thing. Don't do that. That's easy. That doesn't require thought or careful analysis or a summary of any kind. It's just a, a knee-jerk, off-the-cuff reaction. So it takes time and energy. I think that's the first one. The second reason why is because it's risky. Feedback is risky. When you give feedback to somebody, you're putting yourself, the feedback provider, out there and saying, I agree or disagree with you, which means if, the, if you're a person who agrees with somebody who has an opinion that a bunch of other people do not, you've now lumped yourself in that category with them and the negative feedback that they will receive from others could be also attributed to you. Additionally, if you disagree with a person's idea, something especially that they love, you've now put yourself in a position where you may not be well-received by that person. They may take your criticism personally, right? Because that's the next piece of what Scott talks about when he says that the actual desire to hear it is often non-existent. And we have a phrase in the Marine Corps, it's probably not just in the Marine Corps, it's also in the DoD and, and other places, but we love to teach our planners, officers, staff, NCOs, etc. We say, don't fall in love with your plan. Well, why? Because that plan is going to get tested. That plan is going to change. Somebody's not going to like a part of your plan. A part of that plan is going to become untenable or unsupportable, and it's going to have to change. So don't fall in love with your plan because then that will lead you to defend it unnecessarily and potentially keep you invested in that plan far longer than you should as the situation evolves, either in the planning process or during the actual execution of the plan. So don't fall in love with your plan. And that's far, far easier said than done for the same reasons that Scott mentions here. 
we invest a lot of our time and energy and effort into it. It's hard. It's a labor of love, as he calls it. And this is where we can substitute the word idea for plan. So while the Marine Corps says, don't fall in love with your plan, we might say, don't fall in love with your idea. Why? Because if you actively seek or involuntarily receive feedback on that idea and it's not to your liking, your best course of action is almost always to make some adjustments to that idea. I'm not saying scrap it altogether and certainly don't take a single piece of feedback as doctrine and do just because one person says they don't like your idea. Absolutely crowdsource it. Get as much feedback as you possibly can. And we do love our ideas. We think they're clever, they're unique, they're wonderful. But are they really? Are they good? Are they actionable? Does anyone else buy what we're selling? That's what Scott's saying here, is we need to seek out that feedback because we don't know. What goes on between our ears is ours and ours alone. Nobody else can see what goes on in there. And so while we, through our own hubris and self-interest, invest time and energy in an idea, fall in love with that idea, and then defend it against all comers, or instead of defending it, just don't even put it out to people, lest we receive criticism for it. Scott is saying the exact opposite. Not only do we need the feedback, we should welcome the feedback, seek it out. And how do we know if people are buying what we're selling? Well, we need that feedback to save us wasted time, energy, and heartache. And that's why Scott says the value of feedback is very high. If you have an idea and it's a bad one, and you accept that feedback, and you scrap that idea and move on to something else, you can save yourself a lot of time and energy, potentially monetary, certainly hours of the day, et cetera, et cetera, just to try to secure something that isn't viable from the beginning. So two weeks ago, we talked a little bit about the need to have a coach and arguably to have more than one coach. Well, part of what coaches provide for us is feedback, right? They let us know when our performance is not too standard. They let us know how we can do better. If you are executing a drill on a football field or a basketball court or a playing an instrument and the conductor is giving feedback to you on your performance, your playing, or the coach is giving you performance on the drill, you'll do the drill again. You'll play the song again and you'll make those adjustments. You are being coached. You are given feedback by that coach to perform better. And more feedback is better, right? This is one of those rare instances where more is better. The more feedback you can receive, the more you can find and identify where kind of the median of that feedback is. The middle. There's going to be outliers. There's going to be the person that thinks it's the worst idea they've ever heard. There's also going to be the person who thinks it's the best idea they've ever heard. And one of the cautions here is that you must treat the person who says that it is the best idea they've ever heard the same as the person who says it's the worst idea they've ever heard. Assuming those people are equally trustworthy and equally invested in your well-being, those two have to be treated the same. They are outliers. They are the extremes. What you're looking for is the middle ground. You're looking for that median feedback so that you can action it. If you fall in love with your idea and only accept the highest praise for your idea, you're clouded. Your judgment is clouded and you're going to make bad decisions around that idea. If you take an idea and only latch on to the most negative feedback, you'll throw out good ideas. You'll discard things that are actually good, that actually just need a little bit of tweaking. But the only way to find that out is to source as much feedback as you can possibly get. 
And I alluded to it just a moment ago, but the caveat to all of this is that the feedback that you receive needs to be well-intentioned. The people from whom you receive this feedback need to be people who you trust. Modestly, they don't have to be your closest inner circle, but they should be people that you trust. Putting an idea out into the ether, out onto the internet via social media or something like that, will certainly garner feedback. You can get a lot of feedback very quickly. But you have to ask yourself, are those people truly invested in your best interest? Do they actually care whether your idea makes it off the ground or not, becomes something actionable? Chances are, probably not. Probably most of those people are just there for the entertainment value. They're falling victim to a variety of logical fallacies, you know, pig piling and mob mentality and things like that. Probably not the highest quality feedback, but if you're getting that feedback from people inside a trusted circle, people that you've known for some time, people that know what you're capable of and what your intentions are and can maybe read between the lines of the imperfections of your idea and provide you with good feedback, that's the feedback you want. That's the well-intentioned feedback that you want to get as much of as you possibly can to be successful. So our action point today, the thing that we, I think, take away from this is to build and to consult regularly what I like to call your council of wise sages. Now, I can't say that that's necessarily my term. I, I feel like I heard that from somewhere, but a council of wise sages, right? Those people that you consider to be wise, people that you consider to be well-intentioned, people that have your best interests in mind, or at the very least, don't actively mean to do you harm. Surround yourself with those people. Find those people. Who are those people? Maybe write their names down. Maybe it's two people. Maybe it's three or four or five. It could be more. But having a core group like that that you can say, hey, I've been thinking about this. I'll use this podcast as an example. When I thought about starting this, I went to my council of wise sages, my good friends, my close family members, and said, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. What do you think? And I got some very good feedback from them. So I would encourage you to do the same. Whatever your idea is, whatever it is you're thinking about doing, whether it's a career change or having a child or going back to school or starting your own creative endeavor, find and identify your council of wise sages and ask them to give you feedback on your idea. Accept that feedback, internalize that feedback, glean from it what is most valuable and make adjustments to your idea. And you'll find that your idea will be far more refined and far more valuable. And that's what Scott is telling us in today's quote. Seek the feedback. Be willing to receive the feedback, because it is valuable. Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe. This is Quotations, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app, or visit me at quotationspod.com to download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod. Send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at quotationspod or join the conversation on Facebook at quotationspod. I look forward to hearing from you. Welcome your feedback. And thanks as always for listening.